sitting in my little VW Bug Mabel and uh, on my way to see a horseman named Don Healy to interview him about the magic, <laughs> magic of horsecraft, magic of life. And I have a confession to make. <laughs> I am not who you think I am. <laughs> You've got to love an episode that starts with a confession. <laughs> Today's interview with Master of Horsecraft Don Healy ended with an unexpected bit of serendipity that gave me chills. <laughs> on the way to the interview, I pulled over on the side of the road in my little VW bug, Mabel, to settle my nerves, and I went live on Facebook to deal with them out loud, in hopes of dispelling a few myths and helping others. I started out today's episode with that clip, and you can see how it ties into Don's last piece of advice, a real gem that he shares with us at the end of our time together. In today's episode, you'll hear us talk about how Don came to live by the motto, go slow to move fast. A common thread Don believes all great horsecraft practitioners share. The importance of being able to read a horse's body language. A tip Don shares to learn how to read your horse's body language. The importance of timing, feel, and letting go. And a tip to get your horse really, really light. I have quotes that I want to share here, and then I'm going to uh, let you listen to my little trip on the side of the road in Mabel and finish up with a nice round circle with the interview that I did um, with Don. He says, you can't be brave if you're not scared. And in another quote, he said, there had to be a better way because horses were so afraid. He said, so I started slowing everything down and I found that slow was good. I've been criticized for taking too much time, but at the end of three months with a horse, I'll be further along than the old conventional way that we used to do it. You have a better horse. And another thing that we'll unpack inside, he said, is you can't get to the second step until you get the first step. <laughs> and that was in reference to um, timing and asking too much and knowing when to give. And it's all about creating magic with horses and what he thinks you need to create it. So thank you so much for joining me. Um, I want you to know that we also had these really interesting discussions off mic about heart math and the Silva method and how they affect how we connect with our horses and show up in the world. And if you would like to know anything about those things and how I manage my anxiety um, or have any questions for Dawn, who knows quite a lot about the Silva method, um, I could reapproach him to ask a few more questions about how that relates to horses specifically. And um, if you had any questions for him, you could drop them here. Enjoy the show. If you're an adult amateur horse lover who wonders what it takes to make magic with horses, you're in the right place. I'm Paige Lockton, and this is the Magic of Horsecraft. Join me for conversations with wizards in the world of horsecraft about the ingredients needed to build connection with horses and courage in life. Turns out these things are connected. How do I know? Like most things, I learned the hard way. I lost the magic I once had with horses. In regaining it, I discovered that the elements of connection are learnable. 
Whether you ride your horses forwards, backwards, or sideways, stick around for stories that show us how we are the same and that anything is possible. Take a chance. So thank you, first of all, for seeing me today. Uh, a stranger coming down and asking for rather a lot of a busy man's time, and I just want to thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you. And um, I know, admittedly, very little about you for someone who's showing up to milk your brains about what you know about the magic of horsecraft. Um, but what uh, I did learn through Ian, um, that's Ian Angus, who is... He's like the godfather of eventing in Canada. I don't know if you knew that. No, I did not. Yeah, really cool. I didn't either, actually. <laughs> um, but uh, he really helped establish the sport of eventing in Canada. No kidding. All the rules for it, the guidelines. Really? Young no, riders. I didn't know. I didn't know he was that. the beginning of the North American Young Riders Championships. No kidding. Yeah, really cool cat. So when he says he has a horse that he has some issues huh. with that he can't solve, and he's bringing it to... Um, a horseman down the road and having success, I perk up and listen and ask if I can come. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. His, his word carries weight in my, my mind anyway. So I, I listened and I, I showed up and um, I'm really uh, glad that you're here to talk with us. And um, I wonder if you could start just a little bit because I don't know much about you if you can tell me about uh your brand of horsemanship or if if you have a label for it or what it comes from i don't have a label for it it's just i've been around them all my life and when i started the fellow that started me on young horse i grew up with made horses the fellow started me with young horses we did it the old way We'd tack them up, and I'd get on, and I'd get bucked off. And we'd mm -hmm. continue that until they were too tired, and then we'd ride them. And and uh, we evolved over the years, and then he died, and I went off on my own. And it was just in a, we just evolved. I'd watch different people, and I'd watch whatever I could, and then I just evolved because I just figured it had to be a, it had to be a better way because mm -hmm. the horses were so afraid. And, and you know, the more you get bucked off, the, the more you start getting worried about it. And it, it just had to be a better way. Mm -hmm. So I started slowing everything down. And I found that slow was good. And I've been uh, criticized for taking too much time. But at the end of three months with a horse, I'll be farther along than, than the old conventional way that we used to do it. Nice. Even though yeah. at the end of the month you wouldn't think so. And you have a better horse. Yeah, absolutely. We were uh, talking together earlier and uh, about common threads. And um, if we're looking at the common threads between horsemen, no matter what kind of horse craft they practice, whether they ride them forwards or backwards or sideways, English or Western, there are some commonalities. And I think you just touched on one of the most important ones right there. Um, go slow to move fast, right? In the end, you'll be farther ahead. For the people too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Got a lot of 
guys come in a pole and girls and they just want to play. And you can always find somebody to sell you a horse and give you lessons. But they forget they need to take riding lessons first. And, you know, there's some unscrupulous people in the horse business and they just, you know, their business is to sell horses, not to give lessons. And, and, but you gotta take the time. You know, if somebody shows up and they don't know how to ride and they want, and they want pole lessons, I send them away and tell them to learn how to ride mm -hmm. and then come back because I don't do riding lessons. Never have, you know. And, and it's the same way with the horses. You got to have a foundation. You got to understand the horses and, and you have to learn how to ride and how to handle them, be mm -hmm. around them. Mm -hmm. I so, can teach you how to hit a ball standing on the truck. <laughs> <laughs> That's not that hard. <laughs> it's a stick and a ball. Like yeah. baseball. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or like golf. I can teach you that sitting on a truck, or you can go to a simulator. You can do whatever. But I can't teach you how to ride a horse sitting on a truck. Right. Yeah. So who who is it that you help? Who are Who's your average client? I don't know if I have one. Hmm. I, I, I don't. I get horses in to start that, you know, babies. I've got a couple two-year-olds here now. And... Uh, we get a lot of horses that have, that don't have the foundation, like Ian's horse, didn't have the foundation. Where he came from, they would get on and put him in a frame right away and go to work, mm -hmm. you know. So he knew how to do that. He knows how to get in a frame. You don't even have to ask him. But I don't want that. If I want a frame, I want to ask for it. Mm -hmm. I don't want a horse just to automatically figure we're gonna go do this, you know. and. That's it. And that's all we've done with that horse, really, is put a foundation on. Mm -hmm. We go back to the beginning and start everything all over again. And, and uh, the younger they are, the easier it is. But they'll all do it. You just have to go back and figure out which steps were missed, correct, and put those steps into your little foundation, and away you go. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're primarily working with um, the horses, and then um, do the humans show up and ride uh, while you're training them or come at the end to pick them up? How do you... Some of them do, you know, and some of them don't. And the ones that don't are going to have, they're going to they're gonna have problems, you know. And, and uh, the ones that do, like Ann's been out a few times, and... Um, You know, he even said, well, I guess I got to change some things. You know, mm -hmm. God bless him, you know, for, for doing that. You yeah. Because he understands what the problem with the horse is. Mm -hmm. He understands he didn't do it, but somebody did it. Yeah. A, a person or persons did something wrong to that horse. And that's the case with every horse that comes in. Yeah. Except the babies. Right. They're either spoiled, which is absolutely the worst, you know. Or they're mistreated, which is next, that's not, it's not as bad. You would think they'd be worse, but they're much easier to work with than the spoiled ones. The spoiled ones are the worst. Because there's no respect for the humans. No respect yeah. at all. And they're the ones that, that will try to hurt you, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're asking to do something they don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And, but once you get through that, and it usually doesn't take long, you know, one or two sessions to usually straighten that out. You know, I mean, that's what would happen if you 
put them out in that pasture with my herd boss out there. It wouldn't take long. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't take long at all. Yeah. He'd yeah. straighten them out, and everything would be good. So when you're with the horse, that's what you have to remember is that if it's just a two, you're still a herd. Mm-hmm. One has to be the boss, and if you don't assume that responsibility, your horse will. I just want to repeat that. So if there's just the two of you, it's still a herd. It's still a herd. Yeah. Anything more than one in their mind is a yeah. herd. Somebody has to be the boss. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be you. Mm-hmm. Or you're in trouble. And now you elicit that naturally when you're around them. You look like a horse and think like a horse. Is there some way you can put into words um, of ways that you establish that leadership with horses? Well, you have to have confidence in yourself with the horses. Mm -hmm. Even if it's the only place in the world you have confidence, you better be there. Yeah. You know, you have to have the confidence. And and you have to be able to read them. And what I would like people to do is to go out into a pasture an hour at a time, whenever you can. And don't do anything with them. Don't pet them. Don't feed them. Just walk around with them. Mm-hmm. Just be in their herd and see what they do. Mm-hmm. Watch the, lead, the herd leader. Watch their manners, mm-hmm. what they do. Horses don't hold grudges. So when that herd leader comes at them, they want to get to the water, they're sitting at the water, and he or she wants it at water. They don't have to chase them off. They just look at them, twitch their ears back a little bit, and everybody moves. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. If I could get my ears to move like that, I'd be so much fun. <laughs> I was thinking about those donkey ears that they have for the costumes, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a couple of pair of those. I'm going to put my ears back. <laughs> we'll get you a little remote control for your yeah, pocket. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> but that's what, you know, that's where I want to be. I, that's where I want to get. Mm-hmm. Where I can just look at them and they know what I'm thinking. And then when they move them off, right, it's done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely done. Right. They don't hold grudges. Yeah. They don't worry about what happened yesterday. They don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. They're only concerned with when can I get to that water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No grudges. They're right here, right now. Yeah. They're very forgiving, you know. And like you said, no grudges. They don't have. They don't hold a grudge. So just thinking of, um, we have a list of qualities which seems to be ever expanding (laughs) my dad and I have put together this list of qualities we think that good horsemen horsewomen horse people uh, share in common and um, one of the things you touched on earlier you said you know God bless him he's willing to change and learn and I think that's probably one of the most important traits for a good horse trainer is um, we're constantly learning aren't we Mm -hmm. Um, and to let go of what doesn't work um, and not hang on and get our egos in the way. And um, one of the other traits you mentioned about the horses being in the moment and not carrying any grudges, that humans then have to come as masters of self-control and masters of emotion um, and leave all emotions out of the tack 
um, except maybe for gratitude <laughs> and, and joy um, and curiosity, I think. Um, be curious why they're doing something because a behavior is just a behavior. Leave the emotion and the judgment out of it. Don't judge the behavior. Just ask yourself why you're seeing what you're seeing. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Are there any more um, traits you can think of that, if you think of the good horsemen and women that you know, that they share in common? Timing mm. and feel. Ah. The timing. Yeah. The timing has got to be, if you're flexing a horse, you got to let them go right away. You, got, you can't, you can. I mean, they'll recover, but if you want to really get them light, which is that everybody wants a light horse, no matter what, what you're doing with them, you want them to respect it. I mean, not, you want them to respond, so you want that lightness, mm -hmm. right? If you touch them to the, if you want to bring that nose around the right, you want them to do it now. And you don't want to have to pull it. You want to just bring it around. So when, when you're flexing them, or you're asking them to put their head down, whatever you're doing, when, you're, when they're first learning, as soon as they give you anything, if I want that horse's nose on the ground, I'm not going to wait until the horse's nose on the ground. When I'm first starting, I'm going to just, all I got to do is give me a knot. Yeah. And you got to let go. Mm -hmm. And it's not just let go. It's give it back to them. Yes. You know, you got to just give it back. Yeah. Not just let go. And that reminds me of a story, that little nod, and maybe this will help people that are in that frustrating phase where they want it to be long and low all the time and it's intermittent. When um, I started with a little horse named Speed Axel, who I refer to so often, she was just such a game little mare and um, has such a cool history. Um, when she would stretch down by accident, whether it was to blow her nose at the beginning, I'd tell her, good girl, and I'd soften. And then she'd go, what, you want me to do this? Bob her head down. Yes, good girl. And then come back up again. She, it's like she was thinking about it. You mean this? Yes, good girl. And, you know, as long as you give them in some way, shape or form, at the right time, that warm, fuzzy feeling of, yes, that's what I wanted. Thank you. Um, they're going to try to get that warm, fuzzy feeling over and over again. Mm -hmm. So those periods at the beginning looked maybe like, I remember seeing these um, little head bobber things on executives' desks. You, you start them, and it's like a perpetual motion, and a bird goes oh, down yeah, into yeah. the water and up, and down into the water and up again. It was a little bit like that. You want me to stretch? Okay. You want me to do this? Okay. She's stretching down and up. Um, and then it eventually you get the consistency if you just stick with it, eh? Would you say? You can't get the second step until you get the first step. Mm, mm -hmm. If people would remember that. Mm -hmm. But so many people, they go for four steps. Yeah. Right away. Yeah. And then you just confuse them. Yeah. You know, which is why, one of the reasons why I take as long as I take, you know. But at the end of the couple months or however long I have them, then they're taking lots of steps. Mm -hmm. Easy and light. So when you're... And if I just push them into that first four or five steps, just push them, push them, push them, then you got to push them all the time. Yeah. You got to use light cues. And so, then you graduate up, right? But you start really light all yeah. the time, always. And then eventually, if you start at one, you might have to go to 10, but you keep starting at one. Mm -hmm. You never start at 10. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it's eight. And then eventually it comes down to five. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it's a one. 
and they're doing, you know, you know what I'm saying? And I, and a lot of people just don't do that because everything's instant gratification. Mm -hmm. You know, let's get it done fast. Let's get it done fast. A lot of that comes from horse sales. Mm -hmm. You know, we got, and I understand it costs a lot of money to have a horse in training, or if even if you're doing it yourself, it costs a lot of money, and you're trying to turn those horses over because that's how you're making your living is selling horses. I get it. I mean, it's right. Doesn't mean there's not a better way, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, about it. And yeah, like you said, you end up farther ahead in the long run. So over the short term, it looks slow, and over the long run, you're not having to go back all the time and fix things, and the and the progress is quicker. Yeah, you can. I can turn out a horse in 30 days. They'll be doing a lot of stuff and sell them, and then it's going to be trouble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's going to be trouble. Because he doesn't have the foundation, he doesn't have the basics. And then whoever gets them, buys them, is going to think, oh, good, he's doing this and he's doing that. You know, well, yeah, because I pushed them a lot, mm -hmm. right? And they might not know how to, to, to push them a lot. So you're better off put that foundation in them. Then when somebody else comes along, they're good. Even if they make some mistakes, the horse still has that, you know. And desensitizing is a big part of it. You know, they'll always, they're always going to spook from something. My goal is to get, because they're, when God made them, they said, something's good, you don't know something, you run for a quarter mile. Mm -hmm. Then you can turn around and look at it. Mm -hmm. So I just want to get that quarter mile down to about two feet, because I can ride anything <laughs> for two feet. <laughs> Beautiful. But when they're running for a quarter mile out of control, I, mm. that's not so good. But they're always going to be something that scares them. Always. Mm -hmm. That's how God made them. If this is resonating with you, and you've ever felt a little lost as you navigate conflicting data from horse pros across the disciplines, all claiming to have their own methods or recipes for making magic with horses, and you want the clarity and confidence to make sense of it all, I have a roadmap for you. Check out our foundation course. Consider it Horsecraft 101, from amateur to magician, making magic with horses. A unique group coaching program with live online support that helps adult amateurs from non-horsey families who are seeking understanding and connection become the best stewards for their horses in nine weeks, without conflicting data, lack of knowledge, or not knowing where to go to for help. So they understand how and why horses think and react the way they do to create a relaxed and confident relationship. If you're still on the fence, we have a freebie for you. If you're ready, so are we. You can get started at themagicofhorsecraft.com. Until then, take a chance. And remember, anything is possible. Working in that, um, with that at the forefront of our minds has been always been really important. So my, my dad learned something from a chuck wagon trainer, of all people. <laughs> that was really useful for me and it was never holler woe in a tight spot. So because of the flight instinct, if we clamp down on them and insist they stand still when they are feeling like their nervous system is telling them run, um, you're, you're in trouble as a horseman. And we've had plenty of examples where we've maybe forgotten and hollered woe in a tight spot and then the horse ends up exploding. Um, or allowed or facilitated some way to move forward while we're still 
in control of it. So maybe we're forward on a circle. Maybe we're forward in this direction instead of the direction you want to go, but we're forward. Okay, buddy, we'll, we'll accommodate that. Um, and I wonder if that makes sense to you if... Uh, yeah, keep your feet moving. Yeah. You know, even if you do that one rain stop, I know that that's a term that everybody uses now, but you know, some things work. Yeah. And that works, you know. And if you can get that and get her moving their ass around and go the other way, just get her moving her feet around, get their focus back on you. Because mm -hmm. something took their focus away from you. Mm -hmm. So you have to get it back. And they have to be able to move. Mm -hmm. If they feel trapped, you got a problem. Yeah. And I see that both in handling them, like if a horse comes off the trailer at an event and um, they want them to stand still, stand still, stand still. Oh God, the poor horse, it wants to move. It's nervous. A nervous Even horse the wants chain to move over forward. <laughs> and then make them stand still. Well, they do have to be respectful. So I will say a horse has to stand um, and they have to learn to be patient. But if you're yes. in an unfamiliar situation, if you can facilitate forward and not insist on standing still. Um, the first thing I do, if somebody, they'll bring a horse here and they'll have that damn chain over the nose and they'll be holding them right underneath the the their no their chin, you know, mm. and I just I let that go on for about two minutes so I can see what they're doing, mm -hmm. and then I just take the horse, <laughs> take the chain off, just let him walk around and look, cause he's in a, like you said he's in a new spot. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of horses here, a lot of different smells. The dogs all running around. Let him look. Mm -hmm. What is the worst that could happen? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I can handle whatever it is. I mean, what's the absolute worst that can happen? He gets loose? Yeah. Then I gotta go catch him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just. <laughs> That's me? it. Yeah. Um, they're looking pretty happy. We're just, uh, for our listeners, we're sitting looking at horses outside on a farm that are looking um, relaxed and happy. Um, I noticed that you have your horses um, outside in groups and herds. Yes. And I th think that's really important to their happiness. It's something that um, I would like to see changed in the industry. I think we manage them indoors just for our own sake. And as soon as we show them, we think we've got to have them all by themselves all the time. Um, what do you think they gain by being out in nature together that you wouldn't have in a stabled horse? Well, they have companionship, like those two. You know, it's just, they get to move around. You know, they have, you know, horses travel about 20 miles a day. You know, it's a lot of walking around in a stall. Mm -hmm. yeah. 20 miles. Uh, you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just not good for them. And I understand that, I understand. I used to keep horses in the stalls too. But if, if sometimes you just have to, mm -hmm. you know, circumstances. But there's got to be a way to get them out somehow, you know what I mean? But anyway, to your question, they need to live outside. They don't need to, but they should. I think part of the problem is like, uh, like that horse is going to be a show horse. And the owner, you know, she gets upset because he gets nicked up, mm -hmm. you know. 
And I said, what the hell difference does it make if he's Sean? You know? Yeah. Well, all the judges. Well, the judges should be able to look past that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, if they can't, then that then you need different judges. Yeah. You know, because it, it shouldn't be whether he's got a couple nicks because he was playing with another horse. It should be how he does, what performs or whatever he's performing at, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> I think. I used to let my horses live out. I was raised by a cowboy. My dad's a westerner, a rancher. And um, so my horses lived out, and he always insisted that horses be kept as naturally as possible, and that the rest we just did for our own comfort. And it was hard work sometimes to accommodate that when we were traveling to training camps and whatnot. Yeah. And I used to get in shit every single morning of training camp from our trainer, Jack Lagoff, who was a god and a tyrant. <laughs> and someone I really didn't want to piss off. But more than Jack, I really didn't want to piss off my horse. I wanted my horse to be happy. So every morning he'd do a horse inspection and we'd jog them up for soundness in front of him. And every morning he'd ask me, did you leave him in last night? Was he out last night? And I'd say, no, I left him out. Oh, and he would go off. He'd throw his hat on the ground and stomp on his cigarette and cuss me out. And my horse was a bit sun bleached. And uh, sometimes he had some bites on him here and there. Um, I didn't risk putting them out in big herds, but usually if they traveled together on a horse trailer, they buddied up. So when we got to the other end, if there was another teammate that had traveled with me for training camps, we could turn a couple horses out together. And um, yeah, he was a happy horse that far exceeded his genetic code. Yeah. <laughs> He's a little workhorse that um, held his own at, uh, at the international level of eventing. He was amazing. Um, He'd do anything for me. Sounds like a nice horse. Yeah, I was a lucky girl. But you know, I get it with the boarding facilities and stuff. I mean, it, you know, they don't all have enough room to, you know, kick them out all the time. You know, so I get it. But you just have to go around it. You know, figure out some way to mm-hmm. get them out in hand on the end of the road. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Pony him off another horse. Yes. Something. Yeah. You know, so they're not in that stall 23 hours a day. Mm-hmm. If um, there was one thing that you think horses wished humans knew before we showed up and threw a leg over them, <laughs> I know it might be hard to narrow down, but is there something that stands out to you? Patience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll go with that. Mm-hmm. I'll go with patience. Yeah, so it keeps coming back to patience have to and have being patience. slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have patience, you can figure the rest of it out. Mm-hmm. It's no place to be in a hurry, is it? No. That's when the problems start. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to answer to the needs of the average frustrated adult amateur who has taken up this sport with their whole heart and their wallets and all of their time. <laughs> They've thrown themselves into it and they're still coming up against walls. They aren't connecting like their coaches do with their horses. Their trainers have to tune them up all the time and they're really frustrated that they can't quite access the magic. And um, I, I argue that there's kind of two things that they really need. One, they really need to know the species they're working with. And there's a lost knowledge there. I think, you know, that horsemanship used to be passed down generation to generation. And 
through clubs like the Pony Club and mm -hmm. the Light Horse Clubs, which are vanishing. And um, so we're, we're going to, my dad will address that knowledge gap. But then there's something else. There can be someone that's poured all the money into the knowledge and the lessons and they've got the equipment and they've got the horse and they're just... They're just mechanical, you know, they, they know how to ride a leg yield or whatever, a rollback, but there's something kind of mechanical about their timing. You know, you said a good horse person has good timing. And um, you've heard me theorize a little bit about the horses being able to feel what we're feeling. And I'm convinced that so many amongst us, and this would I think be true of the average frustrated adult amateur. We show up at the barn in a hurry. We've got to tack them up. So there's that other rule out the window. We need to take our time and be patient. <laughs> <laughs> that's gone. <laughs> yeah, that's out the window. And our minds are doing a laundry list of things we have to do. And we may even kind of mask up. So by masking up, I mean... Um, we show up at the barn and we are really feeling one way, whether that's um, a little nervous or, or scared or sad or whatever it is we're feeling that day. But we're pretending to be something else for the other people in the barn and for our coach that we're going to get a lesson from and that the horses feel that and immediately we're lost. We're not going to connect with that horse. And there's this other element in our our busy minds and in our nervous system states that we've found out is is measurable so that um we've talked about this before in <laughs> there they go <laughs> just watching a couple of palomino stallions communicate with some horses they just saw come in for water across the road yeah um so I'm, I'm hypothesizing that we show up stressed out. Horses will not trust a leader who is feeling fear or stress or one who's masking and not being truthful and honest and present and that that's preventing the connection, that we can't find the timing if we aren't in the zone. And in the green zone means... Um, that's that calm, centered place you would want to be in if you were any kind of performer, I think, before you go out and um, play a piano concert or before you get on your horse and ride it. Um, we don't really talk about that or, or teach it, but it's, it's kind of my mission to break down this um, how to show up and be who you need to be for the horse so that then someone can teach them. I don't want to teach them how to ride anymore. I, I want to teach them how to show up and be present for their horses. Do you think this holds any weight or do you have any uh, thoughts on this? No, I think you're absolutely right, but good luck. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but I, do. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you're preaching to the choir. You gotta calm down. You can't. You can't. You just gotta calm down. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can do it, but you can do it better if you take a step back and mm -hmm. calm down. You know. Uh, but good luck. I don't. I don't know how you could. <laughs> that's why I don't work with people. I don't know how you would get people to do that. Well, it's. You know. I mean, you can tell them, but you can't force somebody to do that. Yeah. It's like 
you know, like certain things with the horses. I can force them to do a lot if I really want to, if I mm -hmm. want to be like that. But then you'll force them all the time, mm -hmm. you know. So you gotta just figure out a way to get them to conjole them and to. I like to think that I just bore them in a submission. <laughs> and how you can do that with a person, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm proposing to play a little bit with the technology for those that are um, resistant to, as I was, to meditation and that sort of thing, and stuck in in thought loops. Um, well, you don't have to go as far. I mean, I don't think, you know, you're driving out to the barn after work, right? You don't have to meditate because you're going to get an accident, but you could put on some whatever music you like mm -hmm. and just calm down. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, just, just calm down. Calm you don't have down. To. I like meditating. <laughs> so it's nothing against that, but yeah. not everybody has time to do that when you're going to the barn. Yeah. Not just one more thing I got to do. Yeah. Right? Just calm down on the way out there. And when you walk in that door, don't walk in the door until you calm down. Yeah. However you have to do it. And, and if you have to sit in a car and meditate for five minutes, then do that. Yeah. But that's another five minutes, mm -hmm. right? So I don't know what else to tell you, but I agree with you 100%. What I can tell you is that there are horses that will teach you to do it. Because if you don't, you're going to get dumped. Yeah. You know? And then there are horses that will just put up with anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Unfortunately, those horses are worth a million dollars, and and they're so calm that people don't want to ride them because, you well, know, kids can ride that horse. Yeah, no kidding. And that's exactly the horse you need, mm -hmm. right? But they don't want that horse because it's too calm. Mm -hmm. So they overhorse themselves, and then they scare themselves, and now you just got a world of crap. Mm -hmm. You know, just yeah. a world of crap. I had a horse for a girl, real nice thoroughbred, young, good looking, just a nice horse. And he was a wreck. He was just nervous and just wasn't out of control, but pretty close. I had him for a while. We started riding him. He's doing pretty good, and she wanted to ride him. And I told her, I only met her twice, and I said, this is not a horse for you because she was way too nervous mm -hmm. way too hyper you know no 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 i love that horse that's well i like him too but <laughs> okay <laughs> i want to ride him okay so this horse would go with his head down now he was still really green but he would he would go put her in the round pen he got on him and his head went up and he started jigging around, and she clamped down on him, and it was just a big old shit show. So she had to get off him, you know, and it was my fault. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. There, there was the my ego getting fault. in the way and that not willing to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to be vulnerable to learn and admit that you're wrong. Yeah. yeah. I learned something every day with these guys. They'll all teach you something. Always something. Yeah, never stop learning. Good yeah, horsemen's always learning. Everybody says they know everything about horses. They just walk away real yeah. quick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> real quick. I'm I'm glad you mentioned music earlier because it was actually my aha moment that I had when I was training um, and learning about how to basically hack into your own nervous system the way 
meditators and people from the East have been doing for centuries. Um, they were using breathing techniques and counting, and I realized that it's the same thing you do if you're humming or singing. And that when I was riding that little mare that was hotter than a jalapeno pepper, little speed axle, I was just always humming or singing. So there's maybe a little life hack we can give to people um, when they're going to the stable, if they've had problems with connection and they have any issues with anxiety. There's a million things you can do, but I think that might be one little tip or hack. Um, hum or sing. Um, no, when you're yeah. riding the young horses, mm -hmm. they like it. Well, I don't sing because I sound bad, but I'll, I'll either hum or constantly talk to them, you know, and I know they don't understand English. That's another thing. I always tell people, don't talk to your damn horses because they don't understand English. Mm -hmm. I do it all day. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not what I say. It's What's the saying? It's the voice process. Do, do oh. as I say, not as I do. There you go. I'm big on that. <laughs> but they don't because people, they'll tell them, stop, stop. They, well, they don't know what stop means. And you're getting all upset, you know. They don't know what words mean. Right, but I talk to them all the time, mostly the young ones, because when I don't talk to them, and then if I do talk to somebody, they just stop, because I teach them that, you mm -hmm. know. So I got to constantly keep talking, but it calms them down too. Mm -hmm. I think it does. We when just talk to them, and yeah. it doesn't matter what you're saying, because they don't know. It's the tone of voice, and that's actually something they were teaching to these psychiatrists and psychologists to help them create a feeling of safety and connection with their clients. They were teaching them how to use voice prosody, and they showed us um, some experiments done, um, actually, j just with tone of voice eliciting emotions from infants with, in other languages that the infants didn't know. And so when I hear um, someone usually trying to introduce their horse to something scary at the end of the ring, saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Well, that doesn't sound like everything's well, okay. okay. <laughs> no. It's okay, you know, you're all right, it's okay. If you, if you layer in the feeling, they know what you mean. And then using your voice can work. Yeah, because it's, it, it's just your body, mm -hmm. you know. It's your body language that they, that they learn, mm -hmm. right? Not the words themselves. Mm -hmm. And the tone. Same thing with the dog. Yeah. You know. And the other thing that people do that drives me crazy is when you're out, and your example, they see something at the end of the ring, right? They stop the horse, and then they start petting them. They start rubbing on them, right? And what are you doing when you do that? You're rewarding them. For what? For stopping in the middle of the ring and being afraid. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Good boy. Yes. Way to Good. stop well and be afraid. <laughs> so what you should do, in my opinion, is to stop and try to work your way up to it. Not just go right at it, but you work your way up to it. Going side by side, just side to side, side to side, and eventually they're just, every time they turn, they'll pay attention to it. When they pay attention to it, you let them, you let them look at it. Well, they don't pay attention and move on. And you just keep going side to side, and pretty soon you're on top of it. Mm -hmm. And they're standing still looking at it. Now you can rub on them. Yeah. Because now go. they did what, you know, now we're good. Yeah. You know, it's not going to attack you. It's not a bear, you know. And the other thing is that, oh, one range stop, too. They spook. Give them that, you know. 
That's not something we're going to teach them how to do over the radio waves. They got to come to you to learn how to do a one rain stop. But I think you gave us some gold there. We've got a few tips for people and some things just to lick and chew on, think about. Um, is there anything you want to add today? You can't be brave if you're not scared. That just gave me goosebumps. I forgot where I heard that. It's not, I don't think it's original. I think I've plagiarized that somewhere. But I've been saying it so damn long, I forgot where I heard it. Can't be brave if you're not scared. Figure that one out. I stopped on the way here, pulled my car over, and when I'm scared, often, and I'm about to do something, I go live on Facebook. (laughs) It's a little weird. But um, people mistake a lot of what I have done or overcome for uh, being fearless and they'll use the word brave and I stopped on the way here and said that I was about to do something and not to mistake it bravery for being fearless that I get nervous doing these things but I think it's important to do these things so I'm going to do it anyway and that isn't bravery by the very definition doing something in spite of fear Mm -hmm. I think so I'll have to look it up, but thank you for bringing that up. And it kind of gave me goosebumps because I stopped on the way here and I addressed the meaning of brave. <laughs> yeah, well, that's like, you know, all the guys, all this, the warriors and soldiers we have, and, you know, they'll tell you, you, know, you get in a firefight, you get scared, but they work through it. Yeah. Those are the brave guys, mm-hmm. right? The guys that just don't give a shit. Like, hey, I don't care. Well, I don't consider that being brave. That's just... You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It might still be heroic, right? But brave, I think, is a different definition. Yeah. Got to own the fear first, admit it, and then you can move forward. Yeah, you got to get through it. You get through that fear. Well, and I think that's why I got to this intersection of the magic of horsecraft and life, because we're back to things that will help you in the saddle. But I'm really not interested in telling people how to ride a horse and ride a half pass or whatever yeah me either (laughs) (laughs) um but i would like them to be able to if i could help them find joy in their shit storms and connection with their horses and i think that you need the same things for either thank you right Hmm. and all i want is for the horses to be happy yeah you know yeah just have a good life and they'll have a good life when people start realizing what they've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a measure of good horsemanship. Well, thank you so much for your oh, thank time you. today. It's been fun. Let me mic you up. It's been I fun. appreciate it. We'll take the mics off now <laughs> okay. and say goodbye to the rest of the world. <laughs> thank you so much for that. Well, that was fun. Hey, you're still here. Thanks so much for listening. What you think and feel matters. If this resonated with you, please like and share. It truly makes a difference. I encourage you to engage with the content on my Substack account and my socials, all at The Magic of Horsecraft, where you can join the discussion and shape the future shows. Tell me what you want to hear more of or less of, and we'll evolve together as we grow a community of like-minded souls here for the good of the horse. If you're an adult amateur horse lover looking for confidence and clarity in your role of equine steward, Check out my course, From Amateur to Magician, Making Magic with Horses, at themagicofhorsecraft.com. Until then, I'm here to remind you of a couple things. One, underneath it all, we all want the same things, to be heard, understood, and accepted for who we are. And two, 
anything is possible. Take a chance. <laughs>